Our text is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 19. Find one of the screens this morning. The title of our message is called Sovereignty in Everything. Sovereignty in Everything. God is in control. He's not just in control. He's in, he's in charge. He's running things. He is running the show. The universe is held together. It, it literally says in the book of Colossians that it is by him, Jesus Christ, that everything consists. It is held together. The solar system operates the planets in their elliptical orbits, the stars in their places, the tides of the oceans are because Jesus Christ is ordering them to do so. He is the glue that holds the cosmos, that holds the created order together. Jesus Christ is in charge and in control. Somebody say amen. Jesus looks at them intently and he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. Read with me. But with God, everything is possible. But with God, everything is possible. The title, or the rather the text this morning for this message, and it's really not a teaching message, it's more of an exhortation just for a few moments. I knew my brother was coming. He was going to stir our hearts with his gift and with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Not only is he technically proficient, not only is he talented and gifted, but he has the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. And I've been stirred this morning. And so this, I, I want to pick right up. He's handed me the baton. And just for a few brief moments, I'm not going to go into a full-length message, but I just want to stir your heart some more. That's what the word exhort means, to stir up. Look at your neighbor and say, he's going to stir us up. Here we go, Isaiah 55, 11, one of my favorite scriptures. Learned it back when I was in a teenager. The, NI, or the NLT says, it is the same with my word. Everybody say, my word. I send it out and it always, say it, produces fruit, it will say it, accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. I learned to quote this in the King James as a teenager. It says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish in the thing whereunto I send it. It shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it, he says. So his word is sure. This is the one thing I want you to grasp this morning. God's word is sure and his purpose is never limited by the actions of men. We might better say the actions of people because this is not gender specific. When we talk about men, we're talking about mankind, humans, male and female. Say it with me. What is our one thing? Say it with me. God's word is sure and his purpose is never limited by the actions of men. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God with a capital G. You are God who is faithful. You are God who is merciful and loving. You are God who is holy and just and righteous. You are God who is sovereign. You are in charge and you're in control. We take these moments in this service this morning to lift up and to exalt you and to magnify your name and just to again gather as the people of God and to say, be Lord of our lives, be Lord of our hearts, order our steps this week as we step into a new week of being ambassadors in the kingdom of God. Lord, we ask you today that you, Holy Spirit, would do what only you can do. I acknowledge before you and this people that I desperately need you. Apart from you, I know that I can't do anything, but Lord, I also am grateful to say this morning that I'm not apart from you that you're in me and I am in you and Christ in me is the hope of glory and I thank you that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, be ears and eyes in the hearts and the lives of your people. Give us perception, give us understanding. 
The proverb writer said, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom with all you're getting, get understanding. God, give us understanding of your purposes and of your spirit, your anointing. Be the teacher today in us and do what only you can do. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. God's word is sure and his purpose is never limited by the actions of men. I want to just give you three brief points this morning. The first one is the story that we remind ourselves of when we are going through difficult seasons. I got reacquainted with and renewed my friendship with Job after Don died. I was grasping for understanding and for answers. And in the midst of that, I just want to say that there is a point in our lives where we all come to where we have to reach across the chasm of unanswered questions into the heart of a father that loves us and it takes faith. That's when we have to exercise faith. Why we think we can, in our, inf in our finite understanding, and our limited knowledge of things, can ever fully grasp the mystery of God's purposes and his plans, his decreed direct will written in his word and his, the secret of his will that he makes known to us upon occasion by his Holy Spirit, why things happen the way they do, and how I just know this. I know that I needed a but God moment in my life. And my family needed a but God moment. Job was a righteous man, the scripture declares. He was a man of integrity. He got some bad news one day where it seemed like it just all got piled on higher and deeper. And the news kept coming and the messengers didn't stop. And Job heard word of, uh, animals being killed in the field and the crops being destroyed and burned up and, and his children's lives being taken. And literally it was only him and his wife left and she was certainly not in the comforting business. She said, you know what, just do yourself a favor. Why don't you just go on and curse your God and die? And the scripture says in all of this, Job maintained his integrity. He was an upright, righteous man before God and he told the truth, and he maintained his wholeness of confession before the people around him. Even though he walked through seasons of very significant doubt and struggled, we know the story of those three that came and comforted him and stood with him, uh, Bildad and Sophar and Elihu and the, the different ones that came alongside him that gave him the various moralist arguments and just why, why things are happening the way they are to him. And in the middle of all of it, no questions were answered. And finally, toward the, after about 35 or 6 chapters, the voice of God shows up and says, okay, everybody else has had something to say. It's time for me to talk. Now, you all sit down and shut up and listen. Where were you when I set the boundaries of the ocean? Where were you when I... And he begins to give this, um, this amazing list of the, the intricacies of the intelligent design that God put when he literally uh, formed all of creation and placed man and woman, male and female, into the garden and then gave them the commandment to multiply. And so in the midst of that, hope begins to arise. And the scripture says in Job chapter 42, Job speaks again because God has asked him some questions. And he says, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. 
Another translation says, I know that your purposes stand and no one can thwart your plan. It was kind of crazy this week because I read a couple of business books and I'm reading the scripture and I'm studying, preparing for this message. And in every one of those places, the word thwart jumped off at me. And I thought, out of, the, out of a business book, out of a, out of a scripture, and I'm thinking, okay, God, what are, you, what are you trying to say? The word thwart means to have the ability to hinder something from coming to pass. And basically what this scripture is saying is, God, you are so powerful that nobody can thwart your plan. How many of you know that's true this morning? God's word is sure and his purpose is never limited by the actions of men. I know that you can do anything and I know that no one can stop you. I want to stir up your remembrance this morning to recall that we serve a God who is that powerful and who is that much in love with the people of his family. Come on, put your hands together and give him praise this morning. <laughs> Point number two, very quickly, I want to talk just a minute about David's protection. First Samuel chapter 23 reminds us, David is a young man, has gotten the attention of Saul, who is the first king of Israel, and God is dissatisfied, displeased with Saul's behavior and basically his record to this point. And he sends Samuel to Jesse's house. And David, you know, all of the sons get passed over. And David is still back out uh, uh, in the back 40 tending the sheep. And they have to send for the last son. And Samuel pours the, the horn of oil over David's head. And, and he says, behold, the king of Israel, this is the anointed of the Lord. And that moment started a period of upheaval that lasted 13 years of being in a love-hate relationship between David and Saul. David loved Saul, the king, the anointed of the Lord, but Saul couldn't figure out one day to the next whether he loved or hated David because he was jealous of the anointing on his life. He was jealous of the presence of God on David's life. One day he would be crazy, just mad, loving this adopted son into his house, so to speak, and the next day he would be trying to pin into the wall with a, with a javelin or a spear or ordering his men to go after him and kill him. Thirteen years, David is running and hiding. He is, he, is a, he, he, he is a refugee. He is running away from the madness of a king that has lost the sense of the presence of God. And 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 14 says it this way. David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph, Saul hunted him day after day. Say it with me. Come on, everybody. But God didn't let Saul find him. What I want to tell you this morning, you might have somebody at your job that is over you that might be your supervisor, and somebody might be in his or her ear saying things about you that are not accurate. How many of you know folk may temporarily try to hinder you or hurt you, but how many of you know if the hand of God is on your life, God will raise you up, and if you won't quit, you may end up with a supervisor's job. You stay sweet in what you're facing and you pray for those that hinder you and hurt you and abuse you and you pray for your enemies. It's amazing how so many folks today in this division in our nation that we experience have lost the sense of the red letters of the Bible where Jesus reminds us, don't just pray to curse your enemies, but pray that God will change them and transform them and the love of God will be revealed to them. That's when we're really walking with Jesus is when we pray for those that are trying to hurt us. Come on, somebody. I said pray for, not pray against. 
I'm thinking that David, who would regularly say, oh God, you're my refuge and my strength, you're my fortress, you're my shield and you're my buckler, and he would begin to take the harp and he would sing to the sheep as they were stirred up or maybe, maybe skittish or frightened, and he would begin to write the songs that were recorded as the psalms by the sweet psalmist of Israel, is what the book of Chronicles calls David. He was sort of the first choir director of the, the kingdom of Israel. And I remember the psalm in the very middle of it. Psalm 91 says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. He is my strength, my God, and Him will I trust. And you know what? If you'll just stay in that secret place, he said, the arrows can fly by day and the pestilence by night and a thousand at your left hand and 10,000 at your right, but it won't come nigh your dwelling. God has a way of giving you one of those Harry Potter invisible cloaks where the enemy can't even see you and he will hide you because God doesn't intend for Saul to find David, but God didn't let Saul find him. What you desperately need is to be fully in touch with the one whose presence is about protecting you, the one who will surround you and the one who will have the hosts of the armies of Israel gather around you and he'll fight your battles for you if you'll just put your trust in him. Hallelujah. I just want to stir you this morning. Again, this is not a teaching message. It's to remind you of a God who is so big and a God who is so great. Remember, Jesus said that a sparrow doesn't fall from the sky that the Heavenly Father doesn't know about it. He's intricately interested in the circumstances that are happening in your life. The Bible says the very hairs of your head are numbered. And for some of us, that's a diminishing number. I, but I, but I want to tell you, he still knows how many I have, how many fell out of the shower this morning, fell out when, when I was putting in some product or whatever, trying to get ready to come to church. He still knows how many hairs are on my head because he knows the intricate details of my life. And his love is greater than that in terms of being able to describe. If you need protection, find yourself in the secret place of the Most High, under the shadow, under the feathery wing of the Almighty, like a mother eagle calls her little eaglets under her arm and, and under her wing and cares and covers. Come on, how many of you are thankful for the protection of God? If you have a but God... Let me tell you something. You can do everything you can in your own power and your own strength and we can, we can have security and we can have bodyguards and we can do all of that. If we don't have the but God part, all of that's in vain. Now, I believe in doing everything we can in our own power and our own strength and being wise and making wise choices and not being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But how many of you know sometimes you can't help it? You're in the wrong place. Going through maybe a an area of the community that you otherwise might not be hanging out and the, the flat happens and you got to get out and change it. You know, God can send an angel. He can give you a but God in the middle of your circumstances. He can protect you. He can walk with you. Point number three this morning, Jesus' life and ministry. Acts chapter two, verses, I don't know why it wants to freeze up on me this point. Let's just go with this. Acts chapter 2, the people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him as you well know. Next verse, but everybody say, but God, but God. Let's remember where this verse came from. Let's remember this in Acts chapter 2. It's the very famous day of Pentecost sermon. 
that a dude who basically had just three days before, I'm sorry, it was 50 days plus three. It was after the resurrection and it was 50 days later on Pentecost. So it's been a few weeks. The same guy who had been called out by a young girl serving in the courtyard of Pilate basically said, I know that you're one of them because your speech betrays you. You, you, you must be a Galilean because you sound like them. How many of you know that if you spend enough time with the man from Galilee, you're going to talk like the man from Galilee? You're going to speak the word. You're going to be a person that's positive with the promises of God. You're not ignoring the problem, but you have faith that, is, that, that supersedes the problem. Faith that sees over the top of the mountain that you and your natural ability do not have the ability to move. But you know a God who can. Come on, somebody. And so Peter stands up and he quotes from the Old Testament prophet Joel, which says, In the latter days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That's an interesting concept that Peter stands up with in the New Testament as the church is born. And he's quoting a verse, and some folk hung up thinking women should never even be able to breathe a word in church. But yet, the, the thing where the church was born, Peter is quoting an Old Testament prophet that says, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I don't even know it's the word of the Lord in your mouth. I don't believe it has anything to do with the gender of the, the individual who's bringing it. What counts is the word of the Lord. Come on, somebody. Peter stands up like a man possessed, possessed by God. He was fearful. He denied that he even knew Jesus, denied him three times. This is the same guy that after the resurrection, Jesus and intentionally grabbed Peter while cooking fish for breakfast one morning when the disciples were out in the boat and saw somebody on the shore and Peter said, I think that's Jesus. And they, he throws his clothes off and he jumps into the water and he swims to shore and he's just ecstatic to see Jesus. And Jesus immediately says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Peter's a little aggravated now at this point. And the third time Jesus pushes it, he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my... Why, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He says, feed my lambs. For every time that Peter denied the Lord, Jesus was giving him a sense of assurance that, hey, look, you've missed it, you've failed, but my forgiveness absorbs and swallows all of that up. And what I want to tell anybody in this room this morning, that you're here and you think you've done something so bad or so great that God cannot forgive you. There is nothing that puts you so far gone that God's love and mercy can't reach you. Come on. And Peter stands up to begin to tell the people what has happened. This is 50 days later. It's the day of Pentecost. It is the birth of the New Testament church. The Holy Spirit is about to be poured out. It's just happened. It's actually just happened. Uh, on 120 in a room that are praying in the, in the unity of the Spirit, and they walk out into the street of the city, and Peter begins to preach, and thousands of people are saved and swept into the kingdom of God and born, born again with the new birth experience. And he says, in the middle of all of this, wonders and signs and miracles, this is how God basically put his imprimatur, he put his stamp of approval on Jesus by demonstrating God's power through his life. And he says, this is what happened. But God knew what would happen. Back up, yeah. What would happen and his prearranged plan. Say that with me. Prearranged plan. King James says his predetermined counsel. Now, some folk are afraid of that idea that, 
that God knows beforehand the things that are going to happen. But this is scripture. I'll let you argue with it. It says, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. What? How can that possibly be? How could God prearrange, predetermine, predestine a moment when Jesus would be betrayed? It was necessary that the Son of God be betrayed and become the sacrifice, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. It was Martin Luther that said it this way, the Son of God became the Son of Man so the sons of men could become the sons of God. Jesus took our place so that we could enjoy the benefits of his place. Somebody say amen. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. Now look at this. Everybody say, with the help of lawless Gentiles, read it here, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. When you do a series on the sovereignty of God, there are always folk that go, yeah, but what about my responsibility? I have a choice. Yes, absolutely. We're not doing without that. We, we talk about that choice all the time. When I take a few moments in a series to just help you stretch how big and how majestic and how all-powerful and all-sufficient and the godness of the God that we serve, just to show you how amazing he is and how great he is and how big he is and how much he is aware of everything that is going on in every individual's life on the planet and how God can order the steps, how God can put words in your mouth, how God can present you with opportunities, he still protects your ability to choose. And notice, even though God had a prearranged plan, it still had to be people who were responsible with the help of lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to a cross and killed him. Pilate who gave consent, Roman centurions who lifted a hammer and drove the nail, Jews who lied and accused him, Pharisees that made up stories, folk who were basically just trying to rid the planet of someone that was so different, someone that was so pure, someone that was so filled with the love and the power of God at the same time. And I just want to say this, we're not going to cast blame and say it was the Romans' fault, it was the Jews' fault. Listen, it was my sin that nailed him to the cross. It was your sin that put him on that tree. But thank God he didn't stay on that tree. Come on, somebody. Our brother was so led this morning to sing some of the great old hymns of the church on the hill far away stood an old rugged cross. And what we see here as we move to this last scripture this morning, and I prepare to close this message today, it says, we have one more, and this just scratches the surface of the number of times this phrase, but God, appears in the whole of scripture in the 66 books. It is this majestic awareness of God's sovereignty that he is ordering the steps in your life, that the lines, as David said, the lines in my life are drawn in pleasant places. How God has ordered my life. I have to give him praise. I have to recognize that it is the favor of God. I'm not smart enough. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough influence. I don't have the ability. It is purely the blessing of God. My sweet baby girl has said to me, Dad, I have met so many outrageously talented people that are better singers than I am, and it just floors me. I have to give God praise because I am where I am because the favor of God is sitting on my life. And I said, come on, baby, give God praise all the time. And if you saw the recording of her acceptance of her Grammy, she opened up just by, first of all, she looked at me and she said, did they just call my name? And I said, yes. 
And I said, she said, do I go up there? And I said, yeah, you better figure out what you're going to say on the way because she hadn't written anything down. None of us thought she was going to win. And so she gets up there and she says the first three words out of her mouth, I'd like to thank the Holy Spirit. I said, come on, baby girl. Verse 24, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in its grip. The Bible says in the King James, death could not hold him. Listen, there is something down on the inside of you that is stronger than death. There is something on the inside of you that cannot die. There's something down inside of you that cannot fail. One of the first verses of scripture that I memorized as a freshman in college at Arkansas State University, I wrote it on a three by five card, was 1 Peter 1.23, and it says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. We sang it this morning. Everybody say forever. Come on, say forever and ever. The word of God is what births you into the kingdom. It is the experience of the new birth. It is the word and the spirit and the mystery of that spoken word over your life when God calls you as his son or his daughter and something energizes you in the middle of your spiritual death. Pastor Jeremy taught us in the beginning of this, the beginning of the month out of Ephesians 2, we were all dead in trespasses and sins. A dead person can't make yourself alive. You can't, you can't put the paddles on here and warm them up and say, okay, here we go, everybody back up and make your, you can't, you can't, do compressions and resuscitate yourself. A dead man has no choices. Until the Spirit of God moves on your life and draws you to himself, the, Jesus said himself, no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Some of you are in this room this morning, not by accident, because the sovereign hand of God drew you here because, because, because God, is, God is poking something on the side of you to remind you you can't settle for less than what you were born for. A habit you can't break, a word of bad news that you received, a doctor's report, a financial report, whatever it is that you're facing that is a mountain bigger than you can move. I want to tell you we know a God, but God. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. And there's something inside of you that is bigger than, it's stronger than, it's more powerful than any habit or any action or any curse or any sin or any sickness or any disease or anything in your life that would put you in bondage or in a chain. And it's called the living word of God. God's word is sure. And the purpose of God can never be hindered or stopped by the actions of men. Ain't nobody big enough. What is it was the prophetess Diana Ross said, ain't no mountain high enough. Okay, don't take me seriously. It's a joke. Some of you are a little too religious. That, that offended you. I'm sorry. How many of you know sometimes secular music has the word of the Lord right slap in the middle of it? I think anybody that is poetic really, and they're writing about the truth of life, they are prophetic. They're writing about the things of the kingdom of God. 
any gift from God, even, even though a person might not necessarily be directly using it to glorify God, it's still a gift that we can enjoy. And she said, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough to keep me away from your love. And I don't think she, I don't think it's just about an individual that she was romantically involved with. I think it's about us reaching to a God. This is what I want you to see who loves us so much. Put up my last verse. Have you got anything out of this this morning? Were you blessed by Kevin? Come on. Look at this. Look at this. When we were utterly helpless, no ability whatsoever, helpless. Romans chapter 3 says, There are none good, there are none righteous, none seek after me. Everyone is evil. That's the truth. That's all of us. It's, it's so amazing sometimes how all of us want to think, well, you know, I'm really a pretty good person. Well, yeah, I guess if you stack yourself up against the horrible sin of somebody else that's worse off than you are, we can all say we're good. But when it compares to God, only Jesus is good. Come on. He is good. He's good all the time. And I'm not until I come to him and meet him and he comes in me and he begins to transform me. When we were utterly hopeless, Christ came, everybody say it with me, at just the right time. And he died for us sinners, verse 7. Most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Only problem is there ain't none of those. My sweet mama, whose, whose feet barely touched the dirt of the earth, still dealt with sin. Every one of us. Every one of us are sinners who need a Savior. Look at verse the last verse, and I'm finished. Here we go. Say it with me. But God, look at this. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still. King James says, yet, while we were yet sinners. No ability to choose him, no ability to raise ourselves from the dead out of spiritual death. And it's because he draws us, and then in that moment, he gives us a choice. And this morning, I believe God's drawing somebody as we close this service today. As we celebrated in worship, as we've been stirred, as I've exhorted you to stir you up, to give you hope. I, I can't explain. I, I don't believe in fatalism. That's not what I'm preaching. I don't believe that God ordered the day that my wife took a gun and put it to her head. But I have to believe that, but God... Is bigger than that, and he can still work things together for my good and for my family's good. I have to believe that God can give me hope when I'm hopeless. He can give me help when I'm helpless. He can give me strength when I'm weak. I don't understand it. As a kid, I used to despise that old song, we'll understand it better by and by, but I'm telling you there's something down in my heart now that I've lived a couple of years and I've got a couple of gray hairs. There's something about, yes, there'll be a time, there'll be a moment, there'll, there'll, be, a, there'll be an understanding, there'll be a revelation, there'll be an opening up of my limitation when I'll see him and, and what I don't understand right now. And it takes faith to reach out beyond that chasm of the question that I have. I still know that he's a good God and I still know that he loves me and I still know, but God showed his great love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you and he died for me. He died for Dawn. 
this morning, I have hope because a God is big enough to give me hope. And anybody in this room this morning that's in a place of helplessness and hopelessness, the God of hope is here. He's invited you to come. If you would, let's bow our hearts together.